If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, fourth book in your New Testament, the Gospel according to John, chapter 3. A few years ago, down in North Charleston, a family went to eat dinner at Chuck E. Cheese because they had young kids, and when they got home, Robert, who was 11 years old, and his little four-year-old sister were watching the Disney Channel on television in the living room while the parents uh, were watching a different program on a TV in a different room. And suddenly there were gunshots outside and little Robert got up and he walked over to the, to the back door looking out into the patio, looking outside to see what was going on. And um, about 100 feet away in some woods on the on the other side of a, a wooden fence at the back of their yard, someone fired a couple more, sh- more shots from a handgun. And one of those bullets made its way through the fence, through the glass in that door as he stood there looking out, and hit 11-year-old Robert in the chest. He stumbled back and collapsed on the couch where he died. Apparently it was a drug deal gone wrong. Now, I don't know if there's a place any of us feel more safe than home. Now, I know there are, are some people who are in abusive situations and it's not a safe place, but for most of us, when you think about home, you think about love and warmth, you think about comfort and safety. You don't anticipate getting shot, especially by strangers somewhere outside in your own, in your own home, but that's exactly what happened to that little boy and so cruel and so devastating for his family. And and I share that tragic story just to to highlight something, and it's this. The Bible says, boast not of tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. The Bible says today, now is the accepted time. Today, now is the day of salvation. And the truth is because none of us know when we're going to die, it is essential that each of us are ready for whenever that moment comes. need to be ready in terms of your relationships with your loved ones. You need to be ready, especially in, in terms of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you need to be ready not only to live, but you need to be ready to die. And in this sermon series, Lost and Found, what we're doing is looking at individuals in the New Testament who were spiritually lost but came to a place of being spiritually found, being spiritually saved people who were not followers of Christ, who became followers of Christ, and asking the Lord to show us some things that can help us in our walk with Him. And in particular, if you're listening to me right now in this room or on television or via live stream, and and Jesus is not in your life, or as that song said, in your heart, you've not committed yourself to Him and you're not a follower of Christ, then you're lost you're not ready for death, I want to encourage you to listen to what Scripture says and open your heart to what God is wanting to say to you so that you can be found. You can be spiritually found and you can be saved and you can have a relationship with God, be ready to live and ready to die. Now, last Sunday, we looked at two men in the New Testament. One was a a good man, a religious man, a moral man, but he was lost because he was so confident in his own goodness he had no time, place for Jesus. He didn't trust Jesus. He 
trusted his own morality, and, and it didn't work. The other was a, a, what we would say is a, a bad man who had lived a pretty immoral life and kind of uh, dishonest, well, not kind of, he was dishonest in his business dealings and so on. But he came to a point where he realized he was a sinner and he had this great need in his life, and so he just stood humbly before the Lord and said, I, and, and pleaded for mercy. And he was lost, but he became found. Today, we're going to look at a man who was a, he was a nice man. He was a gentle man. He was a religious man, a genuine man. He was a man who had questions, who, who was wanting to learn and understand the things of God and how to have a relationship with God. His name is Nicodemus, and his story is found in the third chapter of John. And what I want us to do is look at, look at his story so that we can learn. Because, listen, I, I know there are people listening right now who are you're good people, and you're a kind person, and, and you, you think of yourself perhaps as a spiritual purpose person, maybe a religious person, and you have some questions, and you're seeking answers, and you're seeking God. I want you to listen to the story of Nicodemus and his encounter with Jesus Christ, found in John 3. Let's just work our way through some of these verses in this story. We'll start with the first two verses of John chapter 3 where he says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, the Pharisees was a religious group within Judaism, so it was a group of religious Jews. They were a very strict group, a very moral group. So he was an active religious Jew. And when it says he was a ruler of the Jews, he was a, a member of the, of the Sanhedrin, which was the, the Jewish court. Think of it like the, the, uh, a federal appeals court or the, even the Supreme Court. It was the leading court within Judaism. So you're talking about a religious guy, a prominent guy. And it says in verse 2 that he came to Jesus by night. Now, that doesn't mean he was a coward. The rabbis, the rabbis taught that the best time to study Scripture was in the evening was at night. And, and this was a very devout, studious person. Also during the day, Jesus was surrounded by crowds. This very learned, very genuine, very kind man studying Scripture at night wanted to have a, a personal conversation with Christ. And so he came to Jesus at the time of day when that would most likely be possible. And so he comes to Jesus in the evening and uh, it says in verse 2, he, he, he speaks to Jesus with respect. He calls him a rabbi, a great teacher. And he, he says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Do you see the respect he has for Jesus even now? So here's this religious spiritual guy with questions who comes to Jesus in all sincerity. He's authentic. He's kind, he's respectful, and uh, he compliments Jesus. And it's not to butter him up, it's very genuine. Now we know later in John's gospel, Nicodemus would become a follower of Jesus. He would become a believer. And the way we know that is two things. In John chapter 7, when some Jewish leaders were talking among themselves, strategizing how to... Uh, capture Jesus and eliminate Jesus, Nicodemus spoke up in support of Jesus. You get to the end of the Gospel of John after Jesus has been crucified and 
His body is still on the cross. It's Joseph of Arimathea, and according to John's gospel, listen, Nicodemus, who go to Pilate and ask for Jesus' body. It's those two men, including this Nicodemus, who take his body down from the cross and bury it and anoint him, his body, prepare it with these expensive ointments. And in fact, John says that he was a follower. He was one of Jesus' disciples by that time. And so here, here's this guy who's very kind and spiritual, and in the beginning he's, he's, he has questions, and he comes to Jesus with his questions. And by the way, by the way, when you have questions, don't run from God, run toward him. When, when you... When you have questions, don't talk to the people who don't have answers. Go to, go to Jesus, go to his word, spend time with him, and let him work in your heart, let him work in your life, and let him answer your questions. Run to him, not away from him. And so that's what Nicodemus does, and he becomes a follower. Now notice what Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, the old King James says, Verily, verily, Whenever you see that in Scripture, it means sit up and listen because something very, very important, something that's a priority is getting ready to be spoken. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, <clears throat> unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he'll not be part of the kingdom of God. He'll not see heaven, not be part of heaven. God's family. <clears throat> so that's a very important statement. In fact, three times in this passage, <clears throat> three times in this passage, Jesus very clearly says, you must be born again. And, and here he's very explicit. Even if you don't understand what it means to be born again, and sometimes in the media you'll hear, uh, some of us referred to as born-again Christians, often in a derogatory manner. And yet here Jesus is very clear in his teaching that even if you don't understand what it means to be born again, that if you are not born again, you cannot, you cannot, you will not be part of the kingdom of God. If you're not born again, you will not see heaven. Jesus could not have said it any clearer than he did. So let me ask you a question. Why? Why do you have to be born again? Well, one reason is because we're spiritually dead as a result of our sins. We're not spiritually alive. You're physically alive. You may believe there's a God, but spiritually, you don't have a relationship with him. Spiritually, you are dead, Scripture says, because of your sin. Ephesians 2.1, look at this. The Bible says, He's writing this to some people who are followers of Christ, who are believers, and he says, you were in your past, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Before Jesus, that was your reality. Romans 6.23, the wages, the consequence, the paycheck of sin is what? It's not just physical death, it's spiritual death. This barrier that sin creates between us and God. And so one of the reasons we have to be born again a second time is, spiritually speaking, we are dead. Now, Nicodemus was a good man, a kind man, a moral man, a respectful man, a religious man, a spiritual man. And to this man, 
Jesus said, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see heaven unless you're born again. You know, there's been a lot of Superman movies made over the years, but back in the 80s, Christopher Reeves was the, you know, the first one to make a lot of those Superman movies. Many of you remember when he had that, uh, that accident. He was riding a horse, and he was thrown and completely paralyzed. Spent the, the rest of his life paralyzed and then died in, I think it was October of 2004. The damage to his spinal cord that totally paralyzed him from, from here down, was one centimeter wide. That's all. In fact, the doctor said when he landed on the ground and hit his head, if his head had been turned just a little bit more to the left, he would have died instantly. His doctor said if his head had been turned just a little bit more to the right, would have gotten up and walked away with a headache. That, that precise angle, that precise landing point, one centimeter wide. How much sin does it take to kill us spiritually? Not much. One. As I've said many times, how many crimes must you commit to be a criminal? One. How many sins must you commit to be a sinner? One. We're all sinners. We're born with a nature that has this propensity for wrong and for evil and for sin. We're lost. And the result of that is we're spiritually dead. And Jesus said, unless you are spiritually born, you won't see the kingdom of God. You will not see heaven. Here's another reason we need to be born again spiritually. There's no substitute for it. You can't substitute morality for it. You can't substitute baptism for it. You cannot substitute church membership for it. Because none of those will cause you to be born spiritually. They don't change your reality. They're important. It's important that as believers we live a moral life. It's important as believers we are baptized to publicly identify with Christ. It's important as believers we are part of a New Testament church so we can bear witness to the world for Christ and be strengthened in our faith and fellowship with believers and serve one another and care for people. But none of those, none of those, none of those can birth you spiritually. Jesus said, if you're not born again, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. There's another reason we have to be born again, and it's this, that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Do you, do you understand that if God changed all the rules and allowed you into heaven without, without being born again in time, you would absolutely hate it? Because heaven is a spiritual place for a spiritual people. And until you are born spiritually, you're not ready for that place. You'd be like a fish out of water. Any of you ever caught a fish, got him on the boat or the bank, and he got off the hook? What does he do? 
He just flops everywhere, doesn't he? Because he's miserable. He wants to get back in that water. If God lets you into heaven without you being born again, all of the holiness and all of the godliness and all of the worship and all of the praise and all just all of that, that all of that spirituality would drive you bonkers and you'd be like a fish flipping and flopping trying to get somewhere else. We have a physical nature, a natural nature if you will, nature. But we need a spiritual nature. And you don't have that until you're born again. You need to be born spiritually to be ready for heaven. So what does it mean to be born again? That's the big question. Well, look at what Jesus continued saying here. Let's, let's pick up the story in verse 4. Nicodemus, is, he, he asked Jesus a follow-up question. He says, Jesus, um, how can a man be born when he's old? So Nicodemus wasn't a young man. How can, he, how can he be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said be born again. Makes sense. If you heard that the first time, you probably wouldn't understand it either. Many in our world don't understand it. And so Jesus goes a little deeper in explaining it in verses 5 and and following, he says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, here he repeats himself. Now listen to this. Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now look at verse 5. I have the verse appear on the screen for you. That you, gotta, you, you must. What does he say? You must be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, water is not baptism. There's a parallelism here. Compare... Compare verse 5 to verse 6. They, they're, they're a parallel to one another. In verse 6, notice what Jesus says. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, Jesus said we have two births, our fleshly birth, our physical birth, our natural birth, right? Born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into us when we give our hearts and lives to Christ and we are born spiritually. So there's a second birth. There's your physical birth, your fleshly birth, your natural birth. And then there's the born again, the second birth, the spiritual birth. Two different births. That's a that parallels. Look here. That parallels the previous verse, verse five. You must be born of what? Water and spirit. Verse six, flesh and spirit. The breaking of the water at physical birth, either naturally or by the physician at childbirth. There's a parallelism here. Verse five, water, spirit, physical birth, spiritual birth. Verse six. Fleshly birth, spiritual birth has nothing to do with baptism. If you just read it in context without all the background stuff, it would make perfect sense. Jesus is saying, if you're going to see heaven, you have to have two births. Everyone in hell will have had one birth. Every lost person has had one birth. Every found person, every saved person has had two births. The one birth that everyone, all of us, each and every one of us have in common is the first birth, the physical birth, the water birth, the natural birth, the fleshly birth. But without that second birth, everyone who has that natural birth is lost and will not see heaven. The second birth is the spirit birth, the spiritual birth, the born again. And so Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, 
Your question is, how can I be born again? Can I go into my mother's womb and be born a second time? No, you've already had that physical birth, that water birth, that first birth. What you need now is a different kind of birth. A new birth, a second birth, a spiritual birth. The second one is not like the first one. It's different. It's different. Now, let's drill down a little bit. The Greek that is translated in our English Bibles as born again here, the word has three shades of meaning to it, all all of them true, just to give you a different insight into what it means to be born again. One shade of meaning is, is from above. When it says born again, you could literally translate it born from above, born above. It's a work of God, an act of God that, that changes us on the inside, that changes our heart, changes our nature. And as the scripture says, we become a new person. God doing something in here. I've shared this story in the past, but I just I love it, so I'm going to tell it again. Years ago, some of you will remember, uh, years ago when, when me and two... Two ladies from our church went to visit one one Tuesday night, went to visit Dot and Charles Turner years ago, an older couple down downtown years ago. And I can still remember sitting in that little living room on the south side of the city going through the gospel, having my, just sharing the Bible verses about how to be saved, how to, how to be found, how to be born again with Dot and Charles. And here they are sitting as this loving couple that never had kids on that couch staring at me with a blank look on their face. No emotion, no reaction, nothing. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time I'm talking, well, this isn't going very well. They're not going to do anything. So, but I, I go ahead and I share. And I get to the end and I ask them, well, is there any reason you'd not be willing to receive God's gift of eternal life? And they said, no. I said, okay. Well, would you like to receive Jesus and be saved right now? And they both said, yes. And they prayed to receive Christ and I baptized them. See, Looking, looking at their face, looking at their body language, I saw nothing. But God was doing something. From above, God was working in their heart and in their life. And that evening, they became new people, not because they did any kind of physical activity, but because God was speaking to them and they responded It's a a work from God, from above, that that takes place in here that changes who we are. Secondly, not only does it mean from above, but it means again. That's the most common translation, be born again a second time. That's what we were talking about in those verses, the, the water and flesh, the, the spirit, the physical birth and the spiritual birth. It's a, it's a second birth and, and and that birth is that experience is so real that the best analogy for it is a new birth because you literally become a new creation a new person now you're still in this body you're still tempted you're you but something's different and you know it because of Christ um The Japanese pilot who led the first wave of attacks at Pearl Harbor, that's that's him, Mitsuo, and I'll let you pronounce his last name. He 
He fought in the battle of Midway. Several of the Pacific battles. He was a pilot in the Japanese Navy. And when the Japanese surrendered at the end of World War II and what was it, the USS Missouri that the signing took place on, the surrender officially took place on? He was on the he was on the the deck of that ship that day. After the war he became very disillusioned. Because throughout the war, the Japanese soldiers were told that the Americans will, will kill every, every prisoner of war, so don't ever surrender. And when he learned we didn't kill all the prisoners, the POWs, he was just shocked. And, and other things that he experienced, it just disillusioned him with the whole war and everything he'd heard all his life. And he was struggling. He met a woman who administered to, to Japanese POWs. Her parents had been missionaries to Japan. And the Japanese beheaded them. And she managed, through the love of Christ, to forgive and minister to Japanese POWs in Mitsuo meets her and he becomes a follower of Jesus and would spend the rest of his life as an evangelist died in 1976 and because he was born again became a new person he's seen the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven that's what the new birth is it's a new beginning. That's the third idea of this word, a new beginning, a real change. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, Nicodemus is like this. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, you and I see what the wind does. We see the leaves blowing across the driveway. We see the trees bending. We see, we see the results. We hear it. We feel it. But with our human eye, we don't see it. We just see what it does. We feel what it does. And Jesus says the new birth is similar. You can't see it. You can't. You know, you, you can't see it with a human eye, but you can you can see the change. You, you can feel the change in people and their behavior and their attitudes and the relationships with them. You, you can see it and you can feel it. You, you can see the results of it. But it's, 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 it's the Spirit of God working in someone's life is like the wind. He you, you see the consequences, the outcomes, but you don't see the Holy Spirit. You don't see the new birth. You just see what happens because of it. Um, there was a man who was an alcoholic. Actually, it'd be, it'd be okay to just say he was a drunk. And miraculously, he became a follower of Jesus. But his co-workers kept giving him a hard time. They didn't believe it. And one day, one of them asked him, do you really believe Jesus turned the water into wine? He said, I sure do, because at my house, he changed beer into furniture. 
You see the results. You see the changed lives. So how's a person born again? Well, don't have time to look at all that Jesus says about it. Verse 9, Nicodemus asked that question. Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus spends the rest of this chapter answering that question, explaining how to be born again. In verses 14 and 15, he said, I've got to be lifted up. The Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, will be lifted up when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Jesus said that has to happen. In verse 15, so that whoever believes, notice this, whoever believes in me, believes in him, believes in Jesus, will have eternal life. So he said, if you're going to be born again, the first thing that has to happen, Jesus said, is I have to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And then you have to believe. Depend on that. Trust in that. Commit yourself to that. Then it's followed in context by perhaps the best known verse in the Bible, John 3.16. God so loved the world, everyone in it, that he gave his only son. Hung him on that cross so that we would not perish, not be lost. Not just have one birth, but if we believe, if we believe, have eternal life, have a second birth, see the kingdom of God, see heaven. Verses 17 and 18, Jesus said the Father, God did not send the Son himself into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus, the very reason I came was so you could be born again, so you could be found, so you could be forgiven, so I could die that you might be saved. Verse 18, And he who believes in him, believes in Jesus, is not judged or condemned. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the Son, the only begotten one of the Father. Listen, what Jesus is saying, your condition right now, you're already judged, already under the condemnation for your sin. You're already lost. You're already spiritually dead. I did not come into the world, Jesus said, to do that. That's already real. I came into the world to fix it. I came into the world to die paying the penalty for your sin so you could be born again. You could be spiritually alive. You could move out from under the judgment of sin and the condemnation of sin and know the joy and the glory of forgiveness and salvation so you could be found and see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Verse 36 Jesus concludes this interaction with Nicodemus by saying, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Already the, 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 the present reality is if you don't believe, you are already under the wrath, already outside life in Christ, already spiritually dead. Over and over and over, Jesus is saying the same thing. That if you want to be spiritually alive and see the kingdom of God, see the kingdom of heaven, you want to be spiritually found, you must believe in, not just intellectually, but with your heart and your soul and your life, committing yourself to believe in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, for the salvation of your soul and the spiritual birth of yourself. And so Jesus says... Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, 
you cannot see the kingdom of God. I ask you, are you born again? My grandfather was 76 years old when he died the week before I left for college as a freshman. So on a Sunday evening, that afternoon I visited in the hospital. And when I left, I still remember very vividly walking over to the side of his bed and kind of leaning over and with this, this hand rubbing my grandfather's arm just like this, up and down his arm. And I looked at him, and he could barely open his eyes, but I looked at him, and I said, Paul, that's what I called him, Paul, I'll see you later. I didn't get to see him again. But I will see him again. Because two years before that Sunday evening, in his bedroom, I took the Bible and showed my grandfather how to have a relationship with Jesus. And he prayed, committing his life Christ. So I will see him again. I will see him later. Because he was born again. Let's stand and bow our heads. Everyone standing, everyone bowing your heads. If you've never been born again, you've been depending on your morality, baptism, church membership, your sincerity, your goodness, but you've never committed your life to Jesus and been born again. You can be born again right now. This could become your second birthday. This very moment, this very day, April 15th, 2018 could become your spiritual birthday if you'll believe in Christ and make the decision to give your life to him. So if that's what you want to do, and I believe there are people in this room who want to do that, pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Jesus, I know I'm lost. I've never been born again. I know I'm a sinner, and I need you. I believe you really died on the cross for me. I believe you were raised from the dead. I believe you love me and will forgive me. Right now, Jesus, I commit my life to you. I invite you to come into my heart, into my life. I receive you as my Savior. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. I want to be born again right now. I want a spiritual relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for answering this prayer, for finding me, and give me, giving me spiritual birth and spiritual life. I'm never going to be ashamed of you, Jesus. I'm going to live for you. And I'm going to grow in my faith. Now, with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking but me, if you prayed that prayer with me, where you stand, raise your hand right now. 
Raise your hand. Let me see. Put it up high where I can see. Thank you. Now, we're going to sing in just a second. Everyone look up. We're going to sing a hymn. And pastors are here at the front, the altar, the kneeling bench. This is a place of prayer. If you prayed with me then or you've prayed that prayer in the past, but you've not publicly identified with Christ, I want you to come to one of us and say, Pastor, I prayed to receive Christ. Others of you can come and tell Brother Jamie, I want to become a part of First Baptist Church and join this church, or I need to be baptized. You can kneel here and pray for people in your life you care about who are struggling spiritually or with other issues. So let's sing together, and you come right now while we pray. While we sing, you come.